For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. You're listening to Daybreak. A quick warning to our listeners, the topic of today's episode focuses on an alleged case of sexual misconduct on Princeton's campus, which may be upsetting for some listeners. Daybreak correspondent Francesca Block sat down with Features head editors Rachel Sterley and Alex Jaya, who last July published a piece in the Daily Princetonian that tells the story of Anna, who has been granted anonymity along with the other students mentioned in the piece, who alleged that she was touched inappropriately by a student at a small campus gathering last semester. A friend who Anna confided in about the assault brought the case to the attention of the university administration, who quickly investigated Anna and her friends for violations of the social contract, but did not immediately investigate the alleged assault. It's Sunday, November 21st. Well, hi, guys. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Can you briefly just introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your role at The Prince? I'm Alex Jaya. I'm a junior at Princeton, and I am a co-head features editor for The Daily Prince. Yeah, my name's Rachel Sterley. I'm also a junior, also co-head features. We started during the COVID year, kind of took over the section, and have now grown it into a team of, like, 30 plus writers. We tend to focus on like longer form stories and we we kind of <laughs> edit all of them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but it is a, a news style section. So um, it's been really fun. And this is our now third semester as a team. <laughs> and I'll disclose, I actually myself used to be a features writer. I worked with both of you and had a wonderful time. I'm wondering what drew you guys to features and that style of writing in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, so I can speak for Alex on this too, but we didn't have any journalism experience going into the prints. Like I didn't work for my high school newspaper. I did not really know what journalism was, but we're also both English majors. And I think what drew us or what drew me, I'll speak for myself here, but just like, I really love writing. I wanted to be able to write outside of an academic context. And for features specifically, it's um, so focused on the human and on the interviewing process and really like telling a story, crafting a narrative. Um, that that was a really exciting way for me to like take some of the stuff that I was learning in classes and extend it out and also to just like sort of become a part of the campus community and be able to share those stories that you know wouldn't otherwise find find a space yeah yeah I mean I think Rachel really covered a lot of it I also did not start in journalism at all in high school and joined the section in part because it was so small at the time and it felt like a really dynamic opportunity, but also because of all of the reasons that Rachel just mentioned, writing and the skill of how to tell a story as much as what the story is has always been really important to me. I think one thing that's also discounted is, well, one thing that's discounted frequently is how important the style of interviewing of features is as well. I think features really allows an opportunity to get to know a subject and to get to craft interview questions in a way that I don't know I would have been able to do if I had chosen another path in journalism. I think it it just would have been harder potentially to get to that path. It wouldn't be the baseline of how we conduct interviews. So I think the human style that uh, human focus style that Rachel really touched on was one of the biggest draws for me with features. I agree. That's something I love doing, obviously, being able to interview both of you and sit down and get to know you. So I'm wondering, what do you guys like about working together? Alex, maybe let's start with you. Um, 
gosh, I love working with Rachel. <laughs> yeah, we started as assistant, well, we started as writers together, and then we started, we both were assistant editors in the same semester, and then rather unexpectedly with COVID, assumed the role of co-head features and really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, <laughs> especially with one of the newer sections on our, in our newspaper. But, I mean, Rachel is a great friend of mine outside of The Prince, so I think our leadership style and our teamwork style works really well together just because, like, we know how each other we know how to work together we know when we need to take a break and like go out for a cup of coffee (laughs) lots of coffee yeah lots of coffee and when we need to really buckle in on something and like when one of us needs to be bad cop and good cop we sort of really like have a, a dynamic that works I really love Rachel's writing style I try to emulate it with my own writing and I also love that she pushes me to think more carefully about issues and think more carefully about writers pitches that I might be a little bit too nice on to be <laughs> honest I think she she brings a bit of an edge and a, she's always asking so what to the writers and I think that's a really important question that I don't always think to ask I'm a little too inclined to let writers just go off and do what they want to do. And I think Rachel really pushes writers to dig deeper and get to the stories that make features really shine. Thank you, Alex. I'm flattered. Um, (laughs) But also, I think you're kind of selling yourself short. Because we do, we switch between good cop and bad cop. Like, I'm definitely not always someone who's, like, (laughs) poking people. But I think the biggest thing for me, and especially, like, in the context of writing pieces together as well, which is... Not something we get to do that frequently, but um, I've always loved it. I think, you know, Alex said this, but like, I will definitely throw it back at her. Like, I really love the way that she writes and interviews um, and is able to, to kind of phrase questions in a way that makes the subject comfortable, but also kind of really forces them to, to get into it. And I think that's also emulated in like the way that she will tell a story, which is always so cautious of like the person. So, you know, we're not disclosing more than they asked us to, but we're also able to kind of get to the heart of things. And I think that really what she said about features that like drew us both there, which was like that process of interviewing and really getting to know the person I think Alex does a really great job of bringing that into the piece so I'm always just like kind of blown away by that and and learn a lot from it so I'm glad you brought that up about having the opportunity to work together both as co-editors but also as writers because one of the reasons I wanted to sit down with you guys today was to talk about a piece you wrote and published in July of this year it was entitled quote I don't understand who they're protecting here Princeton's COVID-19 policy frustrated reporting of sexual misconduct allegations, says students. You guys uh, wrote a piece together, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it. So I'm going to pass it to you guys. Can you summarize really quickly what that piece is about? Um, a summary is a little hard. It's a long piece. But so we we wrote, we've been working on this um, since, I want to say, March. So it had been um, many, many months of, of interviewing and reporting, but we spoke to a group of students about the ways in which the social contract, which was like the COVID-19 restrictions um, from last semester, impacted their ability to report um, an incident of sexual misconduct that occurred on campus. And then we spoke about the disciplinary process that they underwent as a result of breaking the social contract, the lack of support that they felt from the administration during that process, and, and also in handling the sexual misconduct which was not addressed by the university, and just sort of the process by which those two policies um, that the university, one of them very new to the university, how those interacted last semester and how that might have impacted student well-being. I don't know if there's anything you want to add, Alex. No, um, I think you really summed it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard, it is hard to summarize because of the exact tension that Rachel was talking about with this new COVID policy and this new social contract that all of us who were on campus were trying to navigate in so many different ways. And then what that looked like and how that 
had ramifications on other maybe more permanent campus policies in ways that I don't think anyone had really expected because no one could have anticipated the pandemic. Yeah, one part of the piece that really struck me was the way that you guys discussed these investigations, disciplinary probes into student conduct on campus during this time. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the distinction between a social contract violation, but then also an instance of sexual misconduct. From my view, it seems like any investigation into an instance of sexual misconduct would exist to protect a victim. The story that you guys present seems to show a slightly different type of investigation, right? Students being investigated for a social contract violation. This instance of sexual misconduct seems not to be at the forefront of the purpose of this investigation. And so as people who are really close to this piece, I want to know, what do you think that means for this university? And and what are your general thoughts on that? That's a great question. I think that the central kind of, one of the central issues at play is what do you do when a student unrelated to the incident, unrelated to the group of students who are involved, reports something, and then the university hears of it from someone who was a a party uninvolved, and then they have these conflicting policies, one of which seems to serve to support the victim or to allow them to pursue whatever avenues they may want to pursue in order to get this alleged assault, I guess, uh, (laughs) in order to uh, pursue the alleged assault and bring it to the proper authorities, but one of which calls into questions actions from that very student that night. And I think it brings all of the students who were there in a really tough position because on the one hand, they want to support a friend who's going through a tough time and who needs to make a difficult decision about pressing charges or potentially creating a Title IX case to investigate this alleged assault. And on the other hand, they have to protect themselves from potential ramifications from the university because of a conflicting policy. So I think that was one of the things that we struggled with the most to tease out was, and and one of the things that we heard from our sources a lot was just how, how do you support, how do you or in the case of the student involved in the center, how do you um, stand up for yourself and, and, and pursue a form of protection when that very pursuit might be the thing that gets you in, into university disciplinary action? Yeah, I mean, absolutely all of that. And I think the other really, um, you know, something that all of the students mentioned in the article was a lack of transparency and clarity about the policies. So not only was it that the intersection of those policies caused difficulties and tensions that meant that a victim wasn't able to come forward or didn't feel like she could come forward and still be able to protect her friends and herself. But also, she went to the the resources that she thought she had, and, and she alleges that no one was really able to give her clear answers about what her options were, about where she was able to go, what she was able to say to who. And so I think especially, you know, thinking about how difficult last semester was for everyone on this campus, and then having this, you know, alleged awful incident occur, and then not feeling like she had anyone to support her in the administration, I think was, um, you know, one of, one of the, the, the things that we heard as um, from every student and one that like I think really deserves consideration. Absolutely. I want to know, you guys published this piece obviously back in July. At that time, we didn't really know what the fall semester was going to look like. And so I'm curious, what was the type of reception you got both from the campus community and also from the university on this piece? 
Yeah, so we published this in the middle of the summer. And so I think, like, one thing for me and Alex was, like, are people going to read this? It's so, like, the most important thing for us was getting this story out and getting it, um, like, to the ears of the student population and to administrators um, and just, you know, making clear that this was an issue that no one really had thought about um, but was so central to, to, like, the student experience last semester. So, yeah, we did get a lot of feedback from students. Um, We... um, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about why did this story still need to come out, even as this incident happened months ago. And I think that it's a really important display of, you know, the ways in which university policy, even if it's designed to support students, can sometimes fall short of that. And the ways that students, you know, need to be able to share that feedback and have a platform to share that. And we hope that 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 our story was a part of that platform. Was this the first investigative piece you guys have ever written? Um, no, I had, um, I mean, I think, uh, it was the longest in terms of, um, the timeline of it. And it was certainly the most work I think we've done with just quite constantly questioning how we're protecting sources, how we're approaching this from a legal perspective. I think that was, um, so I was glad that we tackled this kind of piece when I think we were both at our most mature level as journalists and, um, I think we were able to give it the the skill set that it required that I, I know I certainly would not have been able to um, earlier on in my journalistic career. But um, it was not the first, at least on my end, um, investigation. It was definitely my first and <laughs> absolutely felt like it. So I did lean on Alex a little bit for that kind of thing, um, especially just in thinking about being really, really sensitive about sources. Um, and, you know, like a lot of that is just kind of like, instinctual like you know you're, you're empathetic towards the people that you're talking to and getting to know but from a more like official standpoint um there are a lot of things like a lot of yeah. things that like loophole not loopholes obstacles that felt like you know on the one hand I was thinking about journalistic ethics but on the other I was thinking about my own ethics and like sometimes those like went in line with each other and other times it felt like they were kind of at odds and I think that was yeah. something that I really had to get used to in the process um, and, and get used to feeling comfortable with but still feel like the final product was as I said like a, a platform for my sources a platform for for this to be be shared in a way that would help people yeah and that's why I was so glad that we did it together because I think of people to work with you are someone that I that like I can come to and we can have a conversation about our own ethics and also what is it as journalists what do we know from the fact that we lead trainings for other journalists all the time and what we know we need to do based on our handbooks our guidelines how to be a journalist and also like what we know we should do as humans yeah um and I am glad that I it wasn't the first investigation I think um as much as we pursue serious stories. There's a real part of this that's being a student journalist. And like I have made mistakes in the past. So growing from that and learning about what does it mean when there are, what does it mean to pursue all of the stakeholders of a situation? Mm -hmm. And how deep do you go in that? And how many people do you reach out to? I mean, there are reasons why these processes are months long. And so I think that that was really helpful. Um, And I was glad to be able to I think Rachel's again selling herself short, but I think I was glad to be able to provide that if if it was helpful. So you guys talked a lot about growth and this was a really long piece. You spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, put a lot into it to make it happen. What do you think is your biggest learning takeaway from writing this piece? Mm, interesting. Um, there were so many. I think, you know, there are a lot of different dimensions of this, like as a journalist, um, as like a 
student and especially a woman on this campus and then also I think as a writer and you know maybe I'll focus on that one because it's the easiest to sort of put into words but um and you know obviously there's a lot of especially in features I will say there's a lot of editing and revision that goes into a piece um because the turnaround is so variable and, and often it's not the kind of like you know you have one day to do a story and then it just kind of goes out that's that's really not what features does but with this piece especially you know we'd write what we felt like you know that could go to print and then all of a sudden we would rewrite the entire thing and it always was better for those things but I think um you know as someone who considers writing to be a skill of mine like I think it was a a really interesting lesson in just um forcing myself to change things forcing myself to say you know this can actually be better even if it means totally reworking things so I think that was you know difficult at first and definitely taxing as well but so so worth it for the final product yeah Yeah, I think you covered it from the writing perspective, so I will try to take on a different perspective because I think we do edit a lot, but that was an absurd amount of edits. Um, But as Rachel said, for a good cause. I I mean, it's hard to, like, sum up what what we all learned from this process because I think on every dimension of our skill sets as leaders, as writers, as editors, as women, as... Princeton students, as people of the world, we just got better through it because of how much time we were spending um, questioning ourselves and questioning the story and thinking about how we could dig deeper, thinking about how we could be empathetic and still make sure that we're saying what needs to be said and writing the truth of the story. I think for me, Rachel touched on this as, as women on this campus, I think it can be hard to put ourselves I think there's I think there's a point of a part of being a woman on this campus that is keeping an eye out for other women on this campus and I think it was a real learning experience about what does that mean in practice how do you support someone through whatever way that you can and maybe that's just listening and maybe that's just working your tail off to tell a story that could make a real difference for women but also everyone on this campus and I think that was something that was a real growing opportunity and I I do think that we're better as leaders having gone through this and I I think we could support writers who want to now pursue their own investigations much more easily because we've gone through a a hefty one. Well Alex and Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today to share the experience you had, not only of working together, but also of writing this really incredible piece. To everybody listening, if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you do. So thank you guys so much. Thanks Thanks for having us. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Francesca Block and produced under the 145th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. Have a wonderful day.